Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. The original plan was that Lawrence would preach, but uh, he went hunting last weekend. I was out in the woods for two or three days in the cold for like eight hours and got the flu or something. So Thursday morning or Friday morning, I have the opportunity to preach. So, um, you know, we're going over some of the laws here found in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, one of the topics that is addressed, as it is throughout the entire Pentateuch, is, is giving and tithing. And so um, we wanted to do another message on tithing and giving, you know, because money is on our mind. You know, since 2021, inflation has rose from the 2%, which is where the Federal Reserve Bank likes to keep it, to over 9%, it's back down to 8 now, wage growth, I'm sure you guys all have, are paying attention to these things. Wage growth is somewhere around 6% over the same time period. Um, you know, and we all feel the pressures from groceries to gasoline to regular expenses. Um, you know, I haven't really talked to anybody in the church about how these dynamics are affecting us. But, um, you know, money is one of those things that's, I think, on our minds a lot. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you look at, like, what you know, a couple weeks ago, we... We looked at uh, a message that um, where, where God is just reminding Israel of his abundant provision and how he gives us the capacity and the strength to multiply wealth. And so, you know, we work to earn money to provide for our families and the needs around us. And so it's not a bad thing that, that money and material possessions are on our, on our minds. Um, but I think, you know, with, with the increasing instability in the global economic situation. It's probably on our minds a little bit more, probably um, more concerning to us than it has been. Um, and so I wanna, we want to look at the issue of money today and giving, but from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, we're going to look at this ceremony. There's, they had a number of rituals and ceremonies around their giving, and uh, Deirdre read the one we're going to look at today. Um, and I, I felt like, you know, as I was sitting down, I actually spent Friday working on a message, and then Saturday morning decided I'm going to do something different. I just didn't feel, I was praying about it, I just didn't, I didn't have the confidence, and I just asked the Lord um, what, what we needed to, to hear. And uh, I looked at the list of, of the topics that we had originally planned, and we had taken this one out. But I, and I talked with Anna a little bit and ran it by Lawrence and, and we really felt like this would be appropriate for today. You know, and I, I've sent some emails out with, on the, the realm with like the opportunities and the needs that we have. And so I think that um, with, with, what I, with what we've shared on the realm and with the needs and opportunities before us and just the sense that the Spirit was giving me, I felt like this was the right thing. And it, and it actually has some community application that I thought would be, um, it's, it's going to be, it's a little different. It's an insight into this that I hadn't really seen before. And so throughout the Pentateuch, there are uh, a number of places that give rules and stipulations about how they are to give. And it's referred to as the tithe. And so the tithe literally means 10%. Uh, but as you read through, so there are rules on the tithe in, in uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and in Deuteronomy. And as you read through it, in all the different sections that speaks to the tithe, 
you kind of come away with uh, the realization that there is uh, a, a significant lack of clarity exactly on how much they were supposed to give and when. And so there's really two uh, perspectives that, that are present in the, in the scholarship um, on how much they were supposed to give and when they were supposed to give. And so one of them is that they were to give 10%. And there would be an annual ceremony where the entire nation would go to uh, the place designated by God, which ended up being in Jerusalem, and they would bring a tenth of everything that they had produced, whether it was livestock or grain or fruit or whatever. If they couldn't bring it in the form of what, it, of what they had, like a cow, they could sell it and convert that to money and then take the money. Anyway, it was one time a year, 10%, and then that 10%, that money would go, it'd be, it would be given to the, to the tribe of the Levites, so the tribe of the Levites didn't have a, an allotment of land like the other tribes had because the Levites were responsible to take care of all of the things re related to the temple and the feasts and kind of the, all of the religious stuff. They also had the responsibility to see to the care of the, the sojourners, the widows, and the orphans. So the money would be given to the Levites and that money, that tenth of all of the produce of the nation, would supply what was needed for that tribe and all that they needed to do, as well as care for those who uh, were not able to provide for themselves. So sojourners were, were refugees that didn't have, refugees from other nations that didn't have an allotment of land. So when Israel left Egypt, um, the text says that a lot of the Egyptians went along with them because they, they could see all right, well, God has demonstrated his, his power. We have seen that Pharaoh has no power compared to God. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna connect with the Israelites. Even though they're not of us, we can see that God is with them. So they had a number of Egyptians that left with them when they left Egypt. And so there were Egyptians in their midst, okay, as well as other, other people from other nations. And so, but they were not given a portion of land because they were not of the, of the tribes of, of Jacob. And so uh, they, had a, they had need as well. And so the 10% would go to meeting all of these needs and all of the religious aspects, the priests and their families. The other view is that there were actually three tithes. You'd have one tithe that would go towards the, the Levitical priests, and that was 10%, and it would take care of all of the needs, the priests' needs and their families. You had another tithe that was literally another time, one time a year, another time a year, you took a tenth of what you had, and you went to Jerusalem, and you had a week-long party. And the party, the needs for the party, were supplied by this second tithe. And then there was a third tithe, but it was every three years. So every three years, they were to take a tenth, another tenth, and it would, it would be uh, distributed to the tribe of the Levites, and the Levites would then supply the needs of the sojourners, the widows, and the orphans. And so it's either 10% or about 23%. And so we have to remember, here's my interpretation. When there is ambiguity in the text, it's intentional. You can't really land exact on exactly what it is. 
And so if, if you recognize that, first of all, we don't have all the laws, uh, and second, that the laws are a part of the story, um, the intent isn't necessarily to create the exact situation for the nation of Israel. Because, again, um, these things were written down and given to the nation as, a, as Bible, okay, um, just a few hundred years before Christ came. And, and, again, these are written for us. All right? So they had the laws. We're not exactly sure exactly what, what they all were. All right? The Pentateuch isn't just the code of laws. Here's my interpretation. Um, the nation of Israel was responsible to take care of the tribe of the Levites and all of the religious duties, uh, care of the temple, all of that stuff. And the nation of Israel was responsible to take care of the sojourners, the widows, and the orphans. Um, rather than having a specific number that got nailed down, they just needed to recognize that they needed to be consistent and generous in their giving and provide for these groups whatever it would take. Whether it's 10% or 23 and a third percent, the nation of Israel was responsible. So, but anyway, you have these, you have these, these rituals. And you can see that, you know, in the one that, that Deirdre read this morning, uh, which we're going to repeat here in a little bit, it's, it's far from the practice that we have. You know, so some of us write checks and send it in. Um, most of us have some sort of automated bill pay or auto withdrawal from the bank. We don't have a ceremony around it. We don't have a ritual around it. Um, we just, you know... I, set them up maybe, what, once a year, and we just kind of let it happen if it's auto withdrawal or automatic bill pay. And so it's, it's quite a bit different. And even if, even if you are actually writing a check every month or every two weeks or whatever it is, frequency that you have, um, it's still something that you do as an individual. You probably don't sit down with your whole household. Hey, whole household, let's come together. We're going to write our giving check this week and then mail it, right? So you can see there's, there's quite a bit of difference in what that would have meant uh, for the nation of Israel if they are having, at least once a year, the whole nation travels to Jerusalem and they have a celebration and they give all of this, this produce, this money to the Levites and they see the Levites and they see how the Levites are administrating the, the funds and taking care of all these people. So again, a very different thing. But I think what's important to see is that these, these rituals and celebrations around their giving created memories and created rhythms for, for life that continued to point them to God's provision and that strengthened their collective identity and purpose. All right, so if you saw the entire nation coming together, you'd feel like, hey, I'm a part of something big here. All right? Much different than once a year getting down on my computer and, and typing it in saying, I send this much at this time, you know, and I hope that the rest of the church community is doing, but I, I'm anticipating it because we continue to exist and the people continue to get paid and we rent facilities, you know, but it's not the same, same type of thing. There'd be feasting, traveling, you'd have big crowds, there'd be parties, okay? So the ritual today that Deirdre read, here's, here's what it was. It was, the, it was the every third year they would do this. 
So they, um, here's what God said. God said, after you have given your tithe in that third year, they had to make this statement. It says they would have to go before the Lord. Now, they wouldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could do that one time a year. Uh, and, but they would have to probably go to the, the tabernacle or the temple where, the, you know, where God was met and celebrated. So they would have to go before the Lord, and they, would, they were required to say this. Every, every household, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Okay, so I've set aside my tenth, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So if, if, you, if you go through this, this it's a confession. Right? Not a confession of I've sinned, but it's just a confession of here is what you've called me to do and here's what I've done to do it. And it's also a prayer. It did five things. First of all, it was a confession that they had been honest in setting aside their tithe. All right, so that's the first thing. The second thing that it did, it also brought to mind what their giving was going towards. The care of the Levites, the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan. It was an acknowledgement that they had been faithful. Okay, it's interesting, you know, I, I didn't eat it. I didn't eat of the tithe while I was in mourning. So you can kind of think, you know, when, when you get sad or depressed, this is at least I do this, okay, I like to eat. I like to drink. It makes me feel better. You know, so you could see where, you know, you've got this storehouse of produce and <laughs> you're feeling kind of down. You know, I'm just going to go eat and drink some of that. Well, he said, I, I didn't do that. When I was feeling down, I didn't take advantage and consider myself a victim, I, I left that dedicated to the Lord. I didn't remove any of it while I was unclean. So there's, there's a faithfulness attached to their giving. It also, for the fourth thing, it acknowledged that God was the source of their abundance. And it concluded with a prayer that God would continue to bless according to the promises that he had given to them and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to, to bless the land and that it would still continue to flow with milk and honey. And so there's a similar ritual in the New Testament. Obviously, like as, as Lawrence pointed out last week, these commands and rituals and rules, are, are not, they're not for the church. They're not. That's the Mosaic Code. Christ abolished it when he died and rose from the dead. He tore down that dividing wall, which was the laws, which was the Mosaic Code. All right, make any made the church, not just Israel, but of all nations, okay? So, but we see in the New Testament a similar ritual. So after the martyrdom of Stephen, which is recorded in uh, Acts chapters 7 and 8, um, the Christians were dispersed because everybody in Jerusalem that wasn't a Christian started persecuting the Christians. So all the Christians left Jerusalem. 
And they scattered around Judea and Samaria, and, they, and they, they went out, and they were sharing the gospel, and other churches were started. But the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. All right, so, and a few other Christians as well. But that group in Jerusalem uh, really suffered economically. And so this led to the, the network of churches that had been started out of that dispersion to support them. And so if you can, you can trace throughout the book of Acts and through Paul's letters his efforts to raise money from the churches to support the apostles in the church in, in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia. So the churches of Galatia, if you read Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14, uh, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, those are the churches of Galatia. So the book of Galatians is written to that network of churches. So Paul was working that network in, in the, the region of Galatia, raising funds for the church in Jerusalem. He says, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, so there's the ritual, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so this is a smaller instruction out of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians where he's about, where he is, he is raising funds for this church in Jerusalem and he is sending Titus to do this collection. And he's concerned that they're not going to actually make good on the pledge that they had already made a year earlier. And so he's, he's reminding them, hey, do this so that when Titus comes, you're ready to actually give what you pledge to give. And so in these two chapters, there are a number of pr principles that come up um, about giving. All right, And nowhere is it anything like you have to give 10% here and 10% there. There's actually no specification as to the amount, but there are some principles. The first one is that our giving needs to be sacrificial. All right, There's not the tithe, but there is the gospel. And he backs it up. He says it's, it's based on Jesus Christ and his life. Though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so obviously, he's not talking um, about material possessions. He's talking about the riches of knowing Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he gives, which is not just a temporal thing, but an abundant quality of life for now. And to enter into the promises that God has to provide for our to provide for our needs and to multiply what we need. And he also bases it on the model of Philippi and Thessalonians, uh, the Macedonian churches. He said, they were eager, they were begging me that they could participate in meeting the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And it says, many of them gave beyond their means. So sacrificial means that it should cost us something. It should it should hurt a little bit. We should have to give up something. Jesus gave up his place of glory with the Father so that we could enter into the place of glory with him. And so it's, it's this giving up with the, with the knowledge and confidence that it's a, it's a giving up that's going to lead to greater glory and greater reward um, in the future. The second principle is that giving comes from what we have 
not what we don't have. And Paul's clear. He says, I don't want to create an unnecessary burden. So as you're determining the amount, what you are to give, be realistic. Give what you, make a commitment to give what you can give, not what you can't. Don't put yourself into a position where you're despising what you've, what you've committed to give because uh, you find that you're either running short or can't even provide for your own family. He says, I, the people that are giving, they're giving out of their abundance so that they can meet the needs of those who don't have, so that there would be fairness. Fairness in terms that the needs are being met. Not fairness in terms of everybody has the same exact income. Fairness in terms of needs are being met. If there are those with abundance and those whose needs aren't being met, those with abundance should meet the needs of those whose needs aren't being met. But we don't give when there's going to create this unnecessary burden. The third thing is that is a, is a principle that, that you see throughout the entire Bible. Generous givers are supplied generously. Generous farmers that, that, that sow in the ground in a generous way are farmers that will reap generous crops. And so it's, this is a principle that God has built in to all of creation. And, it, and it's consistent in terms of how God works with those who give for his purposes. Generous givers are supplied generously. The fourth one is that we give based upon what is in our hearts not under compulsion. Joy, not reluctance, is to accompany our giving. So he says, determine in your hearts what you want to do. Determine in your hearts what you want to give. And so, you, okay, I want to be generous, and it needs to be sacrificial. I, I can't give what I don't have, though, and I don't want to create any unnecessary burden. You know, and so you, you, know, you and your household enter into this process of, of thinking and praying and considering what you can joyously give, joyously give with these principles in mind. If you give reluctantly, you're showing contempt to your gift. All right? I mean, think of yourself as a, as a well, as anybody who's going to receive a gift. You know, whether it's, you know, my, my kids gave me birthday presents, for my birthday when I turned 50 this past summer, and they joyously gave me some gifts. If I saw them giving to me and they were sad about it, what kind of, that's not going to be delightful for me. I, don't, I may not know why they're sad about the gift. Maybe they, didn't, maybe, they're, maybe they spent too much money on it, all right? Maybe they don't really like what they gave me. Who knows? But the last thing I want my kids to do is give gifts to me, and it creates sadness in them. Okay, God is no different. He doesn't want us to be sad in our giving. He doesn't want us to hold our gift in contempt. He wants to see it, that it is something that we are joyfully offering him out of the recognition of his joyful abundance and generosity that he has given to us. Number five, God promises to sufficiently supply and multiply what we have. That's right in the text. God will supply and multiply those who are generous in their giving. Number six, the gift. Okay, so when we when we give, okay, so when you know when you all give, it 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 pays uh, my salary and 
Lawrence's salary and Deirdre's salary, and it pays for uh, our rental here at Wilder, and it pays for the office rental, and it pays for a lot of other stuff. And when you give to the, to the work in India, it goes to support those church planners and those families. So there is much benefit to the gift, right? It's just one part of it, though. Paul says, yep, there's a benefit, and the people that receive it are benefiting. However, it's not just that. It's also an expression of worship to God. It is, a, it is he doesn't say that it's benefiting God, <laughs> but that's the idea. It, it is showing glory and thanksgiving to God, and it is delighting him. So it's, it's meeting practical needs, but it's also showing, giving glory and praise and honor to God, and it makes him delighted. So it is a benefit to God as well, which is really cool to think about. Number seven, it's also a gift of first fruits. At the beginning of the week, before you see how the week is going to you know, roll out, give before. Give before. And finally, number eight, it was collected as a community, and they would give it to you know, somebody there at the church, the house church meetings that they had, and then eventually would get to you know, Paul when he visited or Titus, the team. So they collected it as a community, which strengthened their sense of community identity because it was something that they were all doing together. And when the team would come, you know, they, didn't, they didn't have electronic transfers. They couldn't wire the funds. It was literally carried, all right? So the team would come around, and they'd be carrying this bag of money. So they were all together in it. And so not only would it create a greater sense of community identity, it would also connect them to, to Paul and his team. Hey, we're a part of something bigger. It would also connect them to the, to the other churches in the network, so the Philippi and Thessalonica and the churches in Galatia. Hey, we're all doing something together here. And it would connect them to the Jerusalem saints. And so eight things there in that short little passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that Principles that Paul and Jesus Christ gives us in regard to our giving. So as I thought about this, as I thought about this, excuse me, I'm having trouble with it. I saw that, um, I I read through that and I just began thinking, how uh, how many households in Israel would have avoided making that trip to pay their tithe? There was a there there had to have been a problem because it's one of the things that the prophets rebuke Israel for uh, throughout their writings um, that they're not tithing they're not taking care of the Levites they're not taking care of the the sojourners the widows and the orphans and so you you had people that you know like, oh the year's gone by I didn't set aside my tithe. I can't go and I can't make this confession. So what do I do? What do we do as a household? We'll just not go this year. There, there's no laws about how to enforce this. This is just what they were told to do. How many wouldn't be able to make that confession in prayer? How many people would have, you know, when Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm going to come or I'm sending Titus, I'm going to collect what you've, what you've set aside, you know, and, and so... There were probably households. Oh, 
We didn't set it aside. You know, I don't feel like going to house church today. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to come before the community and, and not have something that I pledge to give. Again, I, I think that these things um, are commonplace. You know, eventually God says in the book of Malachi, Israel, you have been robbing me. And the text come back, how have we been robbing you? And he said, you have failed to, to consistently contribute your tithes. So he says, test me, Israel. Test me. Bring in your tithe to the storehouses, and you will see how much I will bless you. Test me, he says. So I think in the history of Israel, clearly they didn't fulfill this. And in the history of the church, I would assume that they would probably have a similar type of history. There'd be households that weren't ready to do that. You know, the, the, the rituals and the instructions, again, just like we've repeatedly seen throughout this, the Pentateuch, the laws don't generate righteousness. They never, they're not supposed to. They are intending to direct righteousness and to curb unrighteousness, but they can't they can't in and of themselves make us righteous. You know, so whenever we, you know, as we, when we approach preaching, when we approach preaching, our goal is to, is, to, is to draw our hearts and our minds towards Jesus. That's our goal. We also want to grow our collective sense of identity and purpose. And, and ultimately, in, in, a, in hearts and minds that are drawn to Christ and in a sense of of, of unity and love for each other to compel us to action and to obedience to Jesus Christ. How would we, I think, it's, I think it would be, it's, it, it's helpful to put ourselves in these situations. Would we feel confident in what we have done in regard to our giving? Could we read this? You know, can we think through those eight principles and say, you know, yeah, I, I have been faithful. Would, would we have skipped church that day when Paul was going to be there to collect the, the contribution? And if, if, if not, if we would have been like the Israelites that weren't ready to, to give their tithe, or if we would have not been ready to meet that contribution, would, would that have led to further pulling away? You know, because what happens to us when we're faced with, with our sin, and whether it's sin in regard to giving or, or anything, um, a lot of times we don't feel like we can make it up. And a lot of times the, the, the sense of guilt and then the shame that comes along with that puts us into this place where we, we know we can't make it up. Like, what am I supposed to do? Go back and get a 10% of everything that I made? I've already spent it all. You know, so it, it's interesting money like in a lot of things we, we can't go back and change the past and then that sense of guilt and shame we're like well, God, i'm not i'm not ready to come out with this because it's too embarrassing all right so what do i do well oftentimes we we pull away more we pull away more And there's something, and, and, and this, is what, this is what Jesus has came to save us from. This is what Jesus came to save us from. So what, I, what, what we would like to do, 
so I was, you know, I was working on my sermon, I'd come to the conclusion, I, I just was really compelled by the fact that they had these community rituals and celebrations together. So as I come to the end of my, my sermon prep, and I was like, you know what, I, I feel like this would be a really great practice to have some sort of community ritual that we engage in um, at the end of every year. First and foremost, to recognize our need for Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, it, 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 these kinds of things push us towards the gospel. We, we have to address where we've been. But we also need to acknowledge, there's a, there's a passage in Hebrews, it's, it's one of my favorite passages in Hebrews, there's a similar one in, in the book of 1 John. It says that Jesus has come so that, that we can have bold access to the Father. So you, you think back to the beginning of that passage in, in Deuteronomy 26 where it says, come before Yahweh God and make this statement. You know, my guess is that very few Israelites would have been able to come and make that statement with full confidence and full faith. Yes, I've been perfect this entire year. I've been perfect for this entire year. We need, if we're going to go before God, we need bold access. And we can't get bold access to God by our own righteousness. The only way that we can have bold access to God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it's a, he washes away our past. He washes away our past. And he gives us boldness, not because of our righteousness, but because of his grace. I know you. I know your imperfections. I know your low anthropology. I know your need. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge that I have the ability to give you righteousness. So it gives us this ability. We, we, can, we, we recognize that we can't come before God in perfection. We can come to him before God. We can come to, before God because righteous, Jesus Christ gives us his righteousness. And he makes us new. And he makes us new, which means we can start out new. And when we corrupt ourselves again, when we dirty our feet, you know, in the metaphor of the foot washing from John 13. When we get dirty, Christ is there with new mercies, continuing to wash us. We acknowledge our, our need for his cleansing. We acknowledge our need for his provision. And, to, and we also acknowledge the fact that we're not alone in this. That there is a, a community of people called his church, his kingdom, that we're all in this together. And none of us are perfect. All of us, though, are, are pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ and his washing of us and his provision of us. You know, as I, I just, you know, I'm thinking about this past year. Uh, I am not confident in how we have used our money as a, as a household and as, as head of the home, and as the, I'm primarily the one that does the finances. Um, I, I'm not confident. I, f I feel like we've been faithful in our giving, but giving isn't the whole picture. You know, we spend and we save. You know, Proverbs says, foolish is the man who does not, uh, who, foolish is the man who spends everything he has, 
also says, foolish is the man who doesn't save up for his children's children. Okay, so there's, there's, there's biblical wisdom and teaching on spending and saving and giving. And as I look back across the, the, this past year, again, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in our giving. I feel like we've fulfilled the principles there. But I have been too ambitious in some commitments, and I've neglected some things. I've neglected some things. Again, again what, can, what can we do? I, I can't go back and change that. I have to run to Jesus Christ. I have to say, you know, Jesus, I am not confident here. I want to change. I want to see things improve. You know, repentance, like we've talked a few weeks ago, it's not just confessing your sin, it's, it's, it's changing direction. It's changing direction. So what we want to do and we, we've done this a few times in the past, but what we want to do is really start doing this as an annual thing. Um, we want to create a, a, a ritual around our end-of-year celebration. So December 18th, we're having another year-end celebration. Uh, we're not going to do child dedications um, this year around Christmas. We're doing that in the summers. Um, and we're still working out all of our rhythms with the change of, you know, from... Sundays to Wednesdays in our house churches, but we're going to, December 18th, we're going to have our annual celebration, we're going to have food, we're going to feast, we're going to worship, and at some point, we're going to collectively commit to give. It's going to be anonymous, okay, we're not going to, there's no enforcement, Um, and really the point of it isn't to to know what everybody's commitments are going to be, and so that we know where we're going to be at the end of the year, the budget next year, That's, that's not really the goal. We want, we're going to send out envelopes to every household in the church, and then over the next few weeks, what we'd like the households to do is to sit down, think through these principles, think how God has supplied generously for you as a household, consider the needs that we've put out, consider where you need to make some changes, come together as a household. So we want it to be a, a something that, that strengthens every household's discussion and prayer and commitments around these things. Um, and then to write, write it down and mail it in or bring it to the, the goal would be that we all here at the celebration. So bring it to the celebration. We'll throw it all into a bucket during a time where there'll be music and stuff like that. But if you can't come, you can mail it in. And really, again, the goal is, is that we are prayerful. We go to Christ with, with where we don't feel like we've been faithful. And we make some commitments in repentance. You know, and we consider maybe sacrificing some things for some brothers and sisters that, that aren't in the same place that we are. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. And we feel like it will be a, a tangible way for us to, to grow in this area as a church. Um, again, we feel like Twin Cities Church has been tremendously faithful over the years in regards to, to finances. I think, our, our, I think our average giving is well above the, the national norm. Um, but it would be cool, I think, we think as leaders. I sent an email out last night. Okay, you guys, I want to do this, but I don't want to do it on my own. And, and the elders and the leadership team and ministry team affirmed it. It's a tangible way for us uh, to, to do this together and to grow together in this area. Let me pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for your generosity in supplying all of our need, God, and, and for many of us abundantly. God, we're thankful that you have also 
um, put within our spheres uh, other needs, needs of, of orphans and, and widows, God, and, and sojourners and brothers and sisters in Christ that are striving to, to, uh, to take the gospel and to start churches in, in, in hard areas. So God, we're thankful that you are pulling us together. And that through that, we can know you more, know each other more, and experience the abundant life that you provide in so many ways. In Christ's name, amen.